how hard did you push it till I black out? Yes. Numerous times, yes. This is Big C and Ashton. We're talking Pasta Tiempo today. We're both excited. It was a big, solid kick in the balls, but I enjoyed it every second of the way. I don't know if that's a good analogy. I think maybe I I should be like it was, I don't know what to say, but none of us played well and I would blame it heavily on the track more than, more than our actual playing ability, because if anybody's played Postiempo, it is a son of a bitch, but one of the most gorgeous courses I think I've ever played. It is one of the most diabolical courses I've ever played. Pristine courses I've ever played. It's, it's remarkable. It, is absolutely remarkable. It is nothing what I I remember, to be honest, when I played it every year in high school. But let's get Ashton in here. It that's the way I describe it. It was it was insane. What what did you think driving driving in, driving up? Yeah. Uh, the well, lane? I want to take it back real quick. I think we should give a little context. So I mean, this is obviously a place for me. Um when I decided to move back to San Francisco, kind of middle of 2019, that's when I was falling back in love with golf. Um, I wasn't playing a bunch, but that's actually when I found No Laying Up. I started to be consuming a lot of golf content. And I know that's about the time No Laying Up put out the Tour of Sauce California. And it just felt very serendipitous because getting to see them play golf in California made me feel excited about moving back and being able to there was a lot of like wow like i'm gonna be able to play golf in california all the time and what really stuck out to me was the pasta tiempo episode and neil said i think he said he played there like eight or nine times and he said every time i play here i it punches me really hard in the face and it knocks me out and i just can't wait to get back out there and i think that that really set the tone um and going back real quick to what we talked about, why I love Bandon so much, as I said, walking off each hole and be like, man, if I had just known that, I would have played it differently. That's how I felt at Pasa, because I shot 85, but I actually, I shot 85 with seven doubles. I made, I think, three birdies. I almost made an eagle on number nine. I played really well, but there was a lot of situations at Pasa Tiempo where I just wasn't you know, we didn't have a caddy. We like you had played there, but the routing, I think the routing was the same, but you were a bit rusty. Jack had never played there. And so it's a course, which I don't think it really matters how well you play. You're going to enjoy it. It's pristine. Um, and if you know anything about McKenzie, you just can feel it everywhere. It's so cool. Cause a lot of what we've had in the past is when we go play other, I use gigantic air quotes here, McKenzie tracks, we're kind of walked by a bunker. It's like, Oh yeah, Chris, can you, can you see the McKinsey bunkering there? And you're like, you, you can kind of see the fingers. Yeah, you're kind of just like hoping for it, you know. We're like, but at Pasta Tampa, the whole thing is clearly McKinsey, and after the restoration, it really feels that way. So, so yeah, so it was really special for me to finally get there, and it just felt like, even though we were in the middle already of a golf heater, it just felt like a perfect way for the municipals to, you know. We would have loved to play with the RGC guys the day before, but, you know, Chris was moving. I had a work project, but to get to have our own little municipals, you know, just the three of us. I mean, cause I think that's the last time you played with Jack, right? I mean, there's something yeah. just felt really fitting about really being at like potentially like, especially for me. Well, like, well, Jack completely bailed on Presidio. So that that's on him not to play with me twice before I left, but no, I'm just kidding. Jack. <laughs> But I think like uh, this, you know, better than me, Chris. I mean, if we're going to say like remove private golf, you could, you could probably say the pasta might be the best gym in California. So to be able to play, you know, within I, a puncher's weight. Like, I can't one say of the best it's a tracks. gem. So I think gem in golf is overused a little bit. I say it too much because of you. 
Yeah, I, I, I probably overuse it, and I'm probably what, one of those what does people. What mean, then? So in my opinion, a gem is, is, is more something that isn't easy to find. And I know some people might say that, well, that's a hidden gem. No, a hidden gem is like something off the beaten track, Nobody goes to it. To be honest, if I'm going to explain what a hidden gem is, it's going to be Coos Golf Club. Because if I say Coos Golf Club, 90% of the people that I know know golf very well. They're probably not going to know where it is. And that's why I'm so glad we were able to showcase it because that place shouldn't be a hidden gem. It should just be a gem. It should just be a course that's a little off the beaten track, but it is just solid all around. I would say Pasa Tiempo is a platinum golf course. Like, yeah, it's well known across the world. It's yeah. it, it's just it's on every top ten, yeah. top one hundred list. It's it's beyond a gem. It's okay. It's, well, well, then I guess it's to, phrase, to phrase it properly, to have the three of us, the municipal's boys, play potentially the best publicly accessible golf course in California, absolutely was really special. But that's actually helpful. You know, we're doing this live, but to to better categorize gem versus hidden gem. But no, I mean, I think just to play arguably the best course in California together. We paid an arm and a leg, but you know what? It was a great, there's nobody in the world I'd rather have, have experienced that with than you two. And I think we've talked about this in other courses, but it was one of those days where I, I know I kept doing it. I probably felt like, you know, like I was being your dad, but you're on the fourth hole. I'm like, guys, look where we are. Like you really had to have a lot of like pinching yourself because you're just, you know, you go from experiencing no Alistair McKenzie to just, you look left, you look right, look on the green, you look at the bunkering and it's all McKenzie. And it was just really, really special. So just wanted to give some context into why we decided to do it. Then it wasn't by accident. Um, and and I'm just- sorry for the lack of content on um, on Instagram when we were playing Pasta. It's one of those courses where I I couldn't take my phone out of my pocket. I I couldn't whip out a camera and actually take pictures because I mean, we got some, there, there were times where we, we all, we all got some pictures in there, but yeah. I was so enthralled. You wanted to be present. The, yes. I wanted to be present. I wanted to be there. I wanted to experience it and breathe it in and take my time to really, you know, feel the course because it's not for the price point and where it's located and a lot of, you know, different reasons it's not a course I'm going to go play a lot. I'm probably, I might play it another couple times in my lifetime. I doubt I'll ever, you know, play it anytime soon, to be honest. So when you go out to those courses, it's something that you really, really want to make sure that you're experiencing. So don't take a bunch of pictures to reminisce when you, when you leave, because when you leave, you're going to go, Oh yeah, I forgot about that. Oh yeah. Well, I don't, I didn't forget about anything because we literally made sure like you said we stopped and made sure that we We were really taking it we savored it it was it was an incredible day i mean i oh man it was i was dealing with a bunch of stress with the move and it was exactly what i needed because it was the perfect break to be able to focus on what i needed to do to yeah before the before the end of it so yeah so chris before we talk about the day and kind of some of our, of our thoughts what i would love to hear about that i haven't intentionally asked you because i wanted to hear about it here i know it's been a minute since you've played there but what were the biggest differences you saw in your previous time playing in high school and now like giving some people some context would be really helpful so to, to simplify it, trees what i remember playing it in high school is there were a lot more overhanging branches. There were a lot more trees in play. It seems like they thinned it out. And again, guys, I haven't played this course in over 10 years. I I was fortunate enough in high school to do fundraising tournaments out there. And I, I was able to play it three times in high school. But after that, you know, 
you're in your 20s. There's no freaking way I was going to be dropping nearly 300 plus dollars to go out and play by myself. So, you know, outside of that, this was the first experience I've had outside of that. So what I remember is it really, the, the layout hasn't changed. The, they might have sharpened up the bunkers a bit from, from when I was out there. They've really, what I think I've experienced that was different is they had a nice curtain around the entire greens where it seemed like when the renovation happened, they decided to not leave a skirt or a curtain around the outside. And in all the greenside bunkers, it just basically flows right into the, the bunker. So if you hit your ball or if you put your ball long and it flows, it's going to go right. It, there's no, there's nothing on the outside that's going to stop it at all. So I think that's what I, I noticed a lot more. And I think that's what, changed over the years when Alistair designed it I think that's exactly what he meant to have designed where over the years they made it be a little bit more of what the norm was through maybe the 70s 80s 90s and so on and that was every course was manicured had these beautiful multi-layered you know outer perimeters of all the all the greens and I think that was just the norm of what people were doing and how they were keeping courses where when they had the renovation come through like that's not how it was supposed to design and work so that they brought that back from what I remember and then again just the trees you can obviously tell they've they've trimmed back and maybe taken out some where it's a little bit wider it's a little bit more wide open especially on the front front nine the front like I remember the first hole being way more devastating if you missed it right, where now if you look at the front hole, there's barely any trees out there. There, There's a little grouping, you know, in between the two holes there. But other than that, it's not anything really that's going to cause you much trouble off the tee. So I think that's what I remember probably the most is, is definitely I think they've trimmed back a lot of that. I feel kind of dopey asking this, but I think it's relevant. I mean, did you enjoy it more now with the way the trees were? Like, like did, you, did you have a preference? I truthfully cannot give a relevant, like, you okay. know, mm-hmm. take on that because it was just so long. And I, I'm more speculating more than anything. And if I've looked back at pictures of what it was in the 90s, and so that's kind of what I've referenced a little bit to my memory. Mm-hmm. So, so that's the only reason I kind of know that that's what that was what happened in the renovation. But I love the way the course is laid out right now. Yeah. I would say it. There's nothing I would change. There's nothing that, even if it was different back then, I think they did a spectacular job with what what they came out and did and and it was restored by tom doak jim urbina uh which they did a absolutely incredible job and this is exactly what you think of tom doak when you think of anything he's put his put his hands on is if he's doing a renovation he's not putting his own spin on it he's just bringing it back with the knowledge that he creates by if you've listen to any of his interviews or any podcasts that he's done the research that goes into any of the renovation projects that tom dope does is extensive it's it's ridiculous like he goes through archives finds as many pictures many you know overhead flybys you know original plans anything he possibly can get his hands on to renovate back to is much back to as original as possible, which is why when we start doing our tournaments, that's why I'm stoked to, I'm including any of his renovations as well. We're not just doing his original designs. We're going to have his renos on there because they are so special. I mean, it's incredible how good, um, a lot of his renovations have turned out and the reason why a lot of his courses are being used for USGA events and, you know, so on and so forth. So it's, 
Positiempo has held a, you know, NCAA tournament there every single year for very, since the renovation. So it just shows the amount of extensive work that has gone in to make this course as amazing as it is. And the minute you step onto that first tee and the, the starter, even if you know, he gives you a full spiel of what Positiempo is, the history behind it, where, you know, where Alistair's house was and things like that. It's a really special, you know, start and welcome to the golf course. And I definitely appreciated that because he got you off on the right foot. He made sure that you had, you know, ball markers and, you know, everything you needed to be able to get out there and have the best time you possibly can have. And that first tee box looking out over basically most of the front nine. And it's a spectacular view. It's great. And I think the other thing too, that I really appreciate is it's semi-private or as Big Randy would joke, it means it's semi-public. Um, but there was, it was very classy, but I didn't find it stuffy at all. So for example, when Jack and I pulled in, um, cause I know from a preference thing, like Jack is particular about his stuff. Like I just know this is where Ken, I know Jack so well, Jack doesn't like people touching his stuff. Like he wants to kind of do, he also brought like the stretching thing. He had like bags and bags of stuff. Like Jack just, Jack's not into like the full service experience to be honest. So we parked because I knew I had my push card and Jack wanted to do his thing, you know, and the guy like halfway came over and was like, Hey, do you guys need anything? And we're like, we're good. Is it cool? And just like left us alone. Cause I've definitely been to like some private clubs where like, you're kind of got to let them take your bag or there's sort of certain expectation. He asked if we need anything and then left us alone. And then every, you know, everything's right there. So they had a really good kind of restaurant, a bar that's right there practice green we didn't uh we didn't uh hit any balls because uh i did you guys did not oh yeah i didn't realize you did but one thing we should point out to people is i should know better but the traffic the traffic to santa cruz just budget extra time like to be clear i didn't almost miss the tea time like i usually do but there was definitely traffic where the number was creeping up where I was like, you know, we were going to get there. Jack and I were planning on getting there like two hours early. I think we got there like 45 minutes early and it was getting worse. So budget extra time, no matter where you're coming from, because you got into the traffic too, right? Yeah. So I, I budgeted, you know, I, I left my house close to four hours ahead of time <laughs> because I, I knew that I was going to hit traffic. I wanted enough time to get some food, hit balls, you know, warm up and do my thing. So I left four hours ahead of time and I got there an hour, hour and a half, hour and 15 before around like ridiculous amount of traffic. And it usually should only take me an hour 45 to get there from where I was at. So the one thing is I got there before you guys and I decided I was going to go hit some balls and they the way that they had, they kind of squeezed in their driving range is really really funky because you have to jump in this really old rickety van that's like a 92 econo van but it is beat to hell you throw your clubs in the back you hop in they drive you down this hill and around to the driving range drop you off and there's a phone number that you call when you need to be picked up so it was a super weird situation where like so I hit some balls and I was only down there for like 30 minutes because I wanted to have enough time to like get food and chip and putt and do all that. So I like felt bad. Cause I like, you know, hit five balls with like five different clubs, you know, warmed up a bit and called the number and they came back down and picked me up and brought me back up. And I was just like, kind of weird because I, <laughs> you basically dropped me off for like a 30 minute little warm up where I could have just like gotten a cart and driven down. But whatever. Um, that was a really funky, weird thing about Pasta Tiempo. And that actually surprised me with the driving range setup that they're able to host NCAA events with the minimal amount of practice facility that they have. I was pretty blown away by that. And as you saw with the parking lot, there isn't a large parking lot at all. Like, they must be shuttling people in from other, you know, other places because it's crazy how they would host any event, even like a 30 person tournament at a time. 
So, but that was probably the only quirky, weird thing about Pasatiempo. But everything else was top notch. The people running the pro shop, to the guy pouring heavy drinks inside the bar. I mean, it was absolutely top notch. The food was great. Everything. There's nothing I could say bad about it. Well, that's not true because they they filleted your hot dog. Like, don't 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 pull that bullshit. Like, oh. we, tell, we tell we're not gonna fluff course. You know what though? My they burger was like... delicious, despite the fact that I ate way too fast and I blew up. Like, I I shot thirty nine on the front, ended up shooting eighty five because I ate. I started. I, I ate the burger too fast. And started getting the poles, but you you got a fillet dog, my man. You you can't you can't give him credit for that. Like I've said in the past, they can make up for fillet dogs with some extra like top notch toppings. So I was able to get cheese on that guy. You know, I had my normal relish and ketchup. So and they had a really solid hoagie. So they. The cutting of the hot dog, they lost two points right off the bat. So you can't be higher than an eight with a cut hot dog. And you have to be an insanely well-done hot dog being cut to get an eight. They were a good six and a half because they were saved wow. by condiments and they were saved by the bun. Huh. That's good six and a half. Okay. Not not a sous vide uh, Coos golf club hot dog not a palo dog not a palo dog yeah but before we got started the other things to call out um one thing that i think i've been noticing more at places it was true abandoned too i really love that these courses are not just screwing you over on prices of merch yes. i got i got a pasta tiempo um visor 22 bucks. I got my dad a pasta tiempo hat, 22 bucks. And I'm sure that, again, there's some stuff. I mean, if you're going to go like it, you know, band, if you're going to go the zero restriction route, they're going to bone you for that stuff. But I, and they had that. I mean, sure. they had their top notch, you know, Nike stuff that was in the 100, 120, uh, you know, a piece. Yeah. But I thought like the merch was very fair. And then one thing that I thought I had never actually seen before, but I thought it was super cool. So when you get to the first tee, yeah, the guy gives you a spiel, but he asks you what tees you're going to play. And they have individual scorecards for every single one of, so there was like gold, I think was the back. There was gold, white combo. There was white. Um, and it was just really cool is you get this very, very clean scorecard that just has the, just has the numbers that you're going to play. That's it. Yep. So, I mean, a lot about Pasta Tempo is classy. Like the other thing that I noticed was the rakes are basically this like unfinished wood, um, like very, very, like the most minimalist rake I've ever seen. When I first saw it, I was like, this thing is going to not do anything. And it actually does a really, really nice job on those bunkers. So again, because well, the bunkers are so lush. Oh yeah. I mean, I was thinking, it's funny. I didn't bring this up to you on the, when we were playing, but I was thinking back to when we were on our golf trip, Terra Lago at that volcano hole where basically the, you kept chipping it over the green and just screaming like the bunker, it's like a rock. It's like, yeah, dude, we get it. Just pick it up. Let's go to the next hole. Boy, I was thinking like the juxtaposition between like Terra Lago and there. Just well, the, that's the, the thing. I was in a greenside bunker similar to what that volcano hole was at Terra Lago. And as long as there's good enough sand, I have no issue with it. I was literally hitting off of like hard pan, zero sand, like getting him mad again, turf. getting him worked up for uh, the trip. Ah. Uh. <sighs> But, put sand in there, Terralago. But those are the little things that I think, you know, of course, like, you know, we're going to talk about the course and some of the stuff we loved, but, you know, it's just really nice where it's like, again, just to run through it again, it's like a staff that like is there when you need them, but not there when you don't want them. Solid food, solid drinks, affordable. Again, you're paying a million dollars for, oh, to be clear, it's $325 for a greens fee. So people know. But just to, to walk. If yeah. It's another 25 to ride. No, it was 40. 40 to ride. It was yeah. absurd expensive. Yeah, it's 40 to ride. But, you know, but again, the really nice uh, merch rates, um, you know, again, like you, it's just truly a wonderful experience. But you might assume, you know, I'm not I'm not trying to drive by shoot certain places. But, like, you know, I would imagine if you go to like potentially a, a Pinehurst or a Kiowa, it's going to feel maybe a bit snotty, maybe not Pinehurst, but there's certain places where I could imagine you're feeling that sort of resorty vibe. Um, 
it just felt like a really, really nice golf course where they didn't care if you remember or not. And they just kind of, again, they were there, needed them and then left you alone. And that's exactly what I want. They thanked you for coming out, which was awesome. Yeah. And we also had some people who were clearly members who were like clearly super excited that we had come played and that's always just nice to feel welcome because sometimes, you know, when I've played other places that are semi-private, it's like, Hey, pay your dues and go play and then get out of here as fast as you can, you know? Yeah. I mean, it was, it's a very warm, welcoming vibe. You really appreciate everything they, that they offer out there. And it's a minimalistic offer. And to be honest, when you go out there, you you're out there for the golf course. You're not out there for the amenities. When you go out to Pebble Beach, you're out there for the golf course, but you're also out there for the full amenities. In Pinehurst, the same thing. You're out there for full amenities. Like you want to have bars on on the you know holes. Like same with Bandon. Like you want to have those hidden bars in the bunkers and like all these crazy you know fun things like that. You're there for one thing and one thing only the Alistair McKenzie track. They offer substantially good food, great prices on merch, friendly environment. It's the perfect atmosphere to have a great day out there. And when you're paying that premium, that's exactly what you want. So again, one of the, one of the best days getting into the course though, First hole, step up to it. Very straightforward uh, golf hole. I mean, there's there's nothing that's hidden in front of you. It's you're long. you're it's long. Um, but raised tee box, so you kind of just grip it and rip it on the first one. You can miss pretty much wide right. Won't have any issues if you're going if you're going right on that hole. You might get caught up in those trees but there's not a lot of them it's pretty scarce over there what really makes the first hole difficult are the green side bunkers the green itself i don't think it was small it was challenging on that aspect but the green side bunkers from any path you hit into that green you were hitting over bunkers There, there was no no way around it. If you hit it long, you're in a bunker. If you hit it short, you're in a bunker. You hit it left, right, you're in a bunker. It was insane getting up onto that hole, but that was probably one of my favorites. I would say, uh, you know, you kind of just lead into it. You know, number two was a great hole as well. What what would you say on the front nine was your favorite hole that we encountered? Oh man. Um, I, I really like number three. I mean, that has got to be one of the toughest par threes I've played. Uh, and it was really interesting because when we were playing, we, you could see how like I had the benefit of going third and it made a really big difference. I believe that the number on the card didn't matter as much because we were going kind of back and forth. But the point is we were all hitting kind of woods and hybrid. So Chris went first, he hit it kind of in the to be clear, it's like he's saying, bunkers all the way around except for this kind of front porch in the front left area. Chris had, I believe, a seven wood up in the front and goes, literally goes, cool, perfect miss. And then it started to roll and I go, uh, dude, I don't, I don't know. It proceeds to roll 50 yards down the hill to, to leave him like a pretty challenging chip. Um, Jack gets up there, hits basically the same thing with one of his driving irons. Then after y'all did it, I actually clubbed up I had a hybrid that landed on the front of the green, rolled to the back, and then I three-putted because of this crazy green. So that's one of those holes that I think for an average golfer, and to be clear, with that tee, because we were playing the mixed tees, we were playing one tee up. So I think even from one tee up, that hole is probably playing, you know, a par three and a half or almost four there. Uh, But I, I don't, you know, I like some variety when it comes to par threes, which they had. But I thought that after, to your point, you know, a, a, a pretty straightforward, but, you know, definitely a long par four to start off a pretty like straightforward downhill par four. It's like, wow, you're like, this is a, you know, it, it's we're on the third hole and it's officially time to hit a real kind of big boy golf shot. Um, so really, really like that hole. Also liked uh, six. 
six was a, a long and, and very deceptive par five. Uh, we couldn't tell how far we were. Um, like when Chris hit it, I couldn't, cause there's all this, like this stuff with the hill and you can't really tell where your tee shot is. Also, we were playing again, one tee up that hole has got to be 60, 70 yards longer from the back tees. So that was pretty scorable from like, I hit a pretty good drive and a hybrid that almost went over the green. That hole from the back tees is, I mean, prop almost certainly a three shot hole and there's OB houses left, but not in an intrusive way. You're going to notice OB on pasta tempo, but it's not very intrusive. Uh, really interesting little green right there with again, great bunkering kind of the McKenzie classic. And then of course, number seven, which is sort of the, the hole that you might've seen where it looks like you have nowhere to hit it. Like it looks like this very tight alleyway where what it's asking you to do is hit a 220 yard shot perfectly straight and then hit a 120 yard shot to a green with you guessed it pretty deceptive bunkering on the front um i could keep going but those are kind of the three holes that, that i really enjoyed i know i agree with you i think the back nine is better and certainly more challenging but i really like the front nine and i think that that's the correct routing because it sort of is a way to kind of warm you up for the back nine and um I definitely think the, the nines are set up properly. So those are the things that kind of stuck out to me. Yeah, I mean, there's challenges in your approach off the tee on the front, but I would say it's a lot more tame than it is on the back because the back, you really have to pick your shots. You really have to pick where you're going to land the ball because it wherever you end up could, could make or break your approach coming in where – on the front, I felt like I could scramble a little bit more. You know, you could miss your spots and you were still able to scramble to get, you know, save par, you know, or anything like that. So, like you were saying, I would say three was probably outside of the first hole. I just think it's such a beautiful opening hole. I think three is my favorite on the, fr- on the front because it's that uphill – little bit of a dog leg right par three and it's just really difficult really really difficult i mean i think i missed it i missed it in the bunker right right of the green number three yeah no, you flew it short, and then it rolled down the apron. That's right. So you, but, but honestly, you might have been better to hit it in the bunker because then you had you had to hit a flop shot over this like gigantic bunker yep. to a front flag. Like if I would have you, I would have rather the ball have gone in the bunker and just kind of been able to blast it out to putt and make bogey. But like you kind of had to hit like a perfectly executed like flop pitch shot because again, the bunker you were probably. 30 or 40 feet below the green, right? Like it's this check is very dramatic looking green. Yeah. Because the majority of what I've always been taught playing golf is if you're going to miss, you're going to miss short or you're going to miss either left or right, depending on what hazard is, is approaching on the greens. There's usually always a bailout. The one thing I will say about Alistair McKenzie, you know, green complexes, there is never a bailout. So, you know, I, I'm geared to hit it short if I'm going to hit it anywhere. So that was, I think, my biggest struggle throughout the entire day was, you know, any of my approaches that weren't, you know, on right on target, if they were short, I was just heavily penalized throughout the entire day with that. You know, especially when we got to the back nine and I was hitting 16. I mean, oof. I got double penalized on that, on that green. That, that was that was rough. But, yeah, the front nine, that hole is easily my favorite. I think it ends with a very, you know, very nice walk in the park. You know, a short par five, easiest hole according to the handicap. That's kind of what I really liked about the routing as well is you got beat up a little bit. You know, you, you got to experience and learn how the greens were going to play throughout the day on the front nine. It was kind of like an education. And then when you made the turn, you played the back nine, you kind of knew what you were getting into until you got to the first green and the back nine greens are so much more devastating than the front. The front were still puttable. 
They were still, you know, easily to work. As long as you were hitting your lines, they, they were absolutely, you know, um, scorable. Oh, man, that back nine, if you were not hitting the exact spots you needed to hit on those greens, it was an automatic 3-4 putt. Well, it's not just that. I mean, I think there's other, like one thing that I have found myself still thinking about was number 14, the par five. I sort of made a mess of it up until I got to around like to. Oh, you're talking about 13. 13. When I got up there, I kind of, again, I kind of made a mess of it. But then I think I had, I was hitting my fourth shot from 120 yards. And I hit one of the most just perfect, like, you know, you hit a golf shot where it's like you envision it in your ma- your mind and you know off the club you've executed it exactly as you wanted to hit it. I think I landed that gap wedge. The ball was about 12 yards short of the pin. It, it rolled into the back bunker. And to your point, there was a collar. There's no collar. So it just goes straight down into the bunker. And like, literally, I like kind of like, I kind of like, like pose and looked at you and you kind of didn't respond. And I was like, huh, that's kind of weird. And again, but that's where I'm not trying to say like, oh, it's because I didn't know. But like, there's certain things that we've learned playing some Alistair McKenzie courses where it's like, cool, that's actually a hole where the pin may be on the back. Even if it's a gap wedge, land it on the front of the green or else you're going to hit it in the back bunker. Um, but then that wasn't always the case because I know that like number 10, uh, there was like number 10, the, the flag was all the way at the front. And then it was severely slowed down there. And that one actually wasn't that severe. And I guess you could say if we had, if I had one gripe, like this is, you know, me being nitpicky, there was certainly, I didn't think the greens were necessarily consistent when it comes to speed, which at $325, I would expect them all to be about the same. So again, it sounds like me complaining. There were certainly three putts where it's like, wait a second. This is a front pin. It's, you know, it's down three tiers. I would expect to put that ball and have it run into the fairway. And I left two putts short and that one was slow, but then on number 13, you got it where it's so rock hard, it actually rolls. So that was maybe a bit have not played there. Maybe the green's a little inconsistent, but to your point, there's just a really good, like he allows for a ton of creativity, but there's certain ways in which McKenzie's like, yeah, dude, you're just, you're just not going to do that. Like, yeah. And, and, and why do you think there was a, like, think about it. Why do you think there was a bunker behind 13 that just the green roll trend to it? Because that's how he designed it, right? He designed it that if you don't land the shot on the front of the green, it's just going to flow out of the back bunker. And that's just cool golf architecture. You don't but see a lot of, you know? I think that's what I was talking about when, when I think things have changed. Because originally, I'm almost positive there's callers around every green so that would have ruined it that would ruin yeah it. and so I, i'm almost positive looking back that's what the biggest changes are and i think in the renovation that tom doke and jim urbina did they they brought back those flows in in you know edges that roll you know that are just kind of like a infinity green that just rolls right into these bunkers and it devastates you because you'll hit a shot 10 feet in front of the in front of the hole thinking that's going to take two stops and hop, you know, hop two and then and then stop for you. And it just rolls right through right be- through the back into the bunker. And you're just like, are you freaking kidding me? And that just happens to you all day. You just have to realize there there is no such thing as as sticking things close on a lot of those greens. It's a lot of playing the slopes, making sure that you're hitting bump and runs and and being creative with it. Because if you're just searching for flags all day at Postiempo, you're, you're going to have a rough, rough day. Well, I was going to say, I mean, I don't know what happened on nine because I, I hit it to, I had probably a seven foot Eagle putt that I didn't make, but it was an elevated green, so I couldn't see it. But to your point, the the shot I hit closest all day, probably my best golf shot of the day was number eight. Number eight is a downhill par three. Uh, The green is, the green's kind of a diagonal green, bunker in the front right, bunker in the back left. And it kind of, it it tears up. So the, the back is significantly higher than the front. 
and I hit a little draw. So I basically like aimed it in the middle of the green, hit a little draw, landed it right in the middle of the green and it rolled up and then rolled past the flag, rolled up the back slope. And I, and I thought it was going to be like 20 feet and the jack, like it's still rolling. It's still rolling, came all the way back. So to your point, when I hit it to five, six feet, right. That was actually a situation where I landed it short of the hole, played the slope up, had the slope, have it come back. And then it ultimately plays back. But to your point, if I had flown it to the flag, it would have been coming in too hot. It would have missed the tier. It would have gone in the back rough and I would have made probably five because the way that I would have chipped it on would have been the front of the green. I would have had a putting disaster. But to your point, the only way to get it to five feet on that hole is to land it in the perfect spot. Like I did have a roll past the hole, have it play the slope and have it come back. But that's the genius of a McKinsey course. Not only because it's really fun. I I'm not going to lie. I sort of did that by accident. I didn't necessarily like, I didn't envision that shot in my head, but the fun part of, I think of what we love about McKinsey courses and good, good golf architecture in general is because of those slopes and how they play, there's a lot of different ways to attack those holes, but it allows you to get creative and try different shots the more you play, right? It's not just middle of the green, hit at the flag, middle of the green, hit the flag. It's like, no, no one to get it close is to like use your brain and play. And, and then most importantly, execute, right? Because like if I hit a fade instead of a draw, I'm in the left bunker, it doesn't even matter, right? Yeah, I mean, and you know, playing with me as much as you've played with me, being creative is probably my favorite thing about being golf or playing golf because I it's cool if you can hit it long you can hit it you know all that stuff but when you get in trouble and you're under a tree and you're 180 yards out and you only have you know about five feet to hit it out of this little window and need to run it up can you choke up on a three wood and, and punch it out and have it run up to about 10 feet? Like, is that in your, in your repertoire? Or if you blow it right and it goes down this ravine and you got to open up a face on a 58 or a 60 and, you know, flop it up to 30 feet short and have it roll in. Is that in your repertoire? Those type of shots are like what I dream of. It, it sounds crazy because everybody's like, no, I'd rather have a perfect round and hit every spot that I'm supposed to hit, but that's unrealistic. You're never going to do that in golf. If you've played enough golf, you realize that's never going to happen. So I'm in like the Phil Mickelson school of golf where I like to, you know, hit it as far as I can and find it and, you know, be creative with whatever I'm left with. And I think you get a lot of that when you're when you're at uh pasta tempo it's just shots that you probably have never practiced in any practice routine you've ever done it something that you're probably going to experience only with round after round after round of playing it in multiple different courses different types of scenarios all of that and it you're still not going to be you know comfortable or being able to handle it at pasta because the way they cut the grass, the way the undulations happen. I mean, 16 alone. We'll just say this. When you, you're hitting up a hill on 16, you can't really see what you're experiencing on the other side of the hill. But when you hit your ball up there and it rolls down, it could literally end up anywhere. It literally, it looks like Alistair McKenzie designed this for warfare out there on this 16 fairway. It's got these trenches that go through this entire fairway. The the fairway slopes in all different directions, kicking your ball wherever it desires, depending on where you land your, your tee shot. And it makes it for a extremely difficult approach to the green. And you have to hit a super solid shot to be able to have a very successful, you know, distance to be able to approach it as well. I think I was left with a very uncomfortable 190 because I didn't hit a very good tee shot. I think Jack bombed his ball on that on that hole. Like I think he was within like 90 yards of the of the green. It was ridiculous how far he got past all the trenches. And then you were off to the left in one of the trenches. Yeah, well, I was off to the right, just past the cart path. But to your point, That's right. it was one of those where not a great lie. And I just didn't really have anything. 
Yeah. I mean, that's definitely a hole where you just, you have to be in the right spot off the tee to, to do anything with it. Um, yeah. But then you ended up in a horrible approach position too. Yeah. I mean, basically I was on the right side of that green and chipped it on and and it sped all the way off the front. And I think I four putted mid double or triple. And then I again hit my approach shot short. And on this green, it's got three gigantic tiers. I mean, well, and, it's my, and, and the thing is, like, we can't actually articulate how tears dramatic it is. Tears doesn't really even. I, I've never seen anything like this in real life. It, it's like being at a auditorium or going to a movie theater and looking up eight to ten rows. And that's kind of the depth of how yeah. high this green went up. That's a good analogy. And I mean, it to, to be able to picture that in your head and you having to put a ball to the top of this hill and not hit it short to come back, which unfortunately that was what me and did. No, Jack did not. He hit his ball short and it rolled down there for his original approach shot. For me, I hit my approach shot short, putted it, Missed it short, came all the way back down the hill to Jack's ball. Jack chips up, sticks it, really good chip, actually. I think he was like 10 feet from the pin, and I finally get it up there, chip it up there. And (laughs) you're just so devastated once you're at the top of this hill looking at this pin, and if you hit it two feet long, of this pin you're back down the hill so yeah ashton chips on from where he was off you know past on the right past the the bunker rolls down to where we were at he had to chip up me and uh jack both short putt because we're just scared to death to hit it past and have it rolled back down this hill then we we mop it up and i think all of us i know i double bogeyed that hole I think all three of us double bogeyed that hole. It was or, or Jack might have made bogey, but you you and uh, I, Jack did make bogey. You and I definitely. And honestly, I like I know this green's crazy. From Jack's tee shot, he shouldn't have made double bogey. Like he, no, he, he it was should have been easy. He was literally in position A. Um, but I think that's a hole where until you've played it a couple times, like well, I'll finish my thought. Until you play there a couple times, bogey's totally fine. Because I think one of the things I'd love to do is, I mean, if we get to make ourselves a couple cocktails and just make like a part, like just have a hundred yard shots and we get to play like a nine hole match, we just drop it at a hundred yards and play it. That'd be so fun, you know, just to be able to like drop it at different hundred, like drop it a hundred yards. Muni Madness at Pasa would be legitimately the best experience I've ever had at a golf course because there's never a course that would want us to do it less, but it would be the best thing ever. It would, it would be the most enjoyable thing ever because those greens are so devastating and the fun putts that people would make in Muni madness on those greens from like 40, you know, 30 feet down the hill, up the hill, you know, right to left. It would be so much fun, but you're right. It's only a dream. It's never going to occur. But Pasta Tempo, if you ever listen, Muni Madness, your golf course will be there. Chris, what, uh, what, I know 16 is sort of the iconic hole, but what else stuck to you out on the back nine? Because to me, I like 18. the front nine more than you, but like, I want to hear what else stuck out to you back there. So the, what really makes me love the back nine is the Barranca that runs through the entire course on the back nine. So you're ha- right when you get to 10, you're hitting directly over the Barranca. Hey, Chris, for the people at home who don't know, what's Barranca? So a Barranca is a, a smaller canyon. It, that's kind of just an easier way to describe it. It's a canyon, but a Barranca is a smaller canyon, so it's not as deep. Um, and it's usually full of vegetation. Um, but so a Barranca, it kind of 
flows through the entire back nine, kind of weaves in and out. So on the first hole, you're, you're having to clear the entire barranca hitting into the fairway. On 11, you're, you're dealing with it on your approach shot. And then you definitely deal with it on a few more holes. It's just a very intriguing way to weave holes in and out using the natural landscape to make it more challenging without taking ex, you know, excavation tools and, and tractors and man making these type of things. It's just a completely amazing way of utilizing the landscape to create such an epic golf course, because I mean, this was built in the twenties. So they didn't have all of the equipment that modern, you know, golf course architects have. So the way the course is designed and laid out with all the bridges that go across the barrancas, it's crazy. And it's just, it's mind blowing that this was created in the twenties and the actual layout of the golf course has not changed. That's, that's baffling to me because I mean, to be able to upkeep that place, I couldn't even imagine with the mowers in, in things that they had up to fuck the eighties, you know, to upkeep that golf course and have it be one of the top, you know, notch golf courses in the world in designed by Alice. I just, I don't, it, it's head scratching to say the least on how that course is still in existence in the pristine, you know, aspect of it. And of course it got renovated by Tom Doak, Jim Urbina, but I just, it, it's definitely a mind blowing experience on the back nine. But and you're talking about 18, you start talking about up, but you're talking about 18. 18 is any golf course that ends on a par three is, has my heart. I, think it's one of the coolest ways to end uh you know around it's not every golf course 80 percent of golf courses end their end their rounds with a par five they they usually it's a scorable par five and it's wide open and it's it's just kind of the template that i would say that i see it the most that that i see most of golf courses and it kind of feels overplayed when you go and play a course like this that has a par three at the end that's very approachable it's not deep i mean from the tips it's 143 yards so it's not unobtainable but the green is diabolical if you miss it short again brings you all the way down to this kind of catch basin multiple tiers and layers throughout the green depending on where they have the flag placed that day it it can be a little bit easier or harder if they have it top left. It can be a little bit easier. Can You can miss it a little bit more. There's some rough up there that'll catch you. Where they had it placed for us, it was in this bottom shelf that had the flag at the bottom, bottom of the shelf. And you either had to hit it long and have a little spin on it and come back and hopefully it didn't come all the way down into the catch basin. Wait, are you talking 18? Yeah, wasn't 18? 18, the flag was all the way in the back. It was... Okay. No, I'm, no. My apologies. No, no, it's fine. But, but 18 was brutal because that's where they had it for the, the collegiate tournament. Because if you hit it long at all, you're in the back bunker and you are fucking dead. Yeah, because you have oh, to come down from it. But what those my guys fault. all did is... I don't hit... have a picture of the course. No, it's all right. Me. That's, that's why I'm here. As as um, as uh, Mr. Banks said, I'm the third grade teacher who kind of keeps everything on the rails. No, but what those guys kept doing is they kept hitting like shots to the middle of the green. They would suck back and they'd have a 40-foot putt up the hill. But the flag was actually all the way in the back, which made it so brutal, you know? And it was super yes. quick. So my take is absolutely dog shit. So yeah, don't just... listen to my take. <laughs> but so anyways, on that hole, I know what I did. You hit it short. Um, I hit it, it short in the basin, chipped it up, but then it came back down to the bottom tier. And then I had to put it all the way up to the top left tier. Yes. And I think I bogeyed on that yeah. hole. Which I got a miraculous two putt coming up that, which was wonderful with the situation that I was that I was given off the tee 
Yeah. And, and I agree with you, Chris. Like I totally agree with a course that has a par three does have my heart, but at the same time, to me, it better be good. Like if you yes. really, if you really want, like it takes some cojones to do that. Again, I wish golf courses did it more, but it's sort of like a like weird flex. But it's like if you're gonna do it, do it right. And I think pasta tiempo, it's a it's a great way to finish. It's how like, it needed to be. Totally, totally. And and so that's what I would say. I would I would love to see more courses with like 290 yard par fours and like you know short par threes, but with green complexes that challenge you to end you know things like that would be much more enjoyable to see on a lot of courses and that's i think what i really loved about pasa was that last hole really it's difficult it's very difficult but it's also one of the most rewarding holes if you hit it correctly yeah no 18 was awesome i also want to call out i, I sincerely think one of the toughest holes I've played in the last year. Number eleven is is diabolical. I I, I have did thought, not have a good go about that hole. No, I mean the one place you so there's hazard left, OB right, and I hit a pull hook in, into the OB. But then the hard part is you want to be as close. You want to hit it as far as you. No, you actually no, you don't. The the fairway runs out at like two eighty. You want to be at about 250, but as close to the left, close to the Barranca on the left as you can. Right. So, yeah. And, and then the green is dramatically uphill. It's got not just bunker, but in front of the bunker is red stake hazard in front of it. And then the green itself, like the pin was all the way in the back on this really tough thing where Jack had this great approach shot, but it got caught in the rough and you were like, you were, you were kind of giggling. You're like, dude, if it had come back down an inch, it would have been three feet, but instead you're going to chip it on a three putt. So I think that like 11 was not only the toughest, I think the toughest hole out there, but I think one of the toughest holes I've played because yeah, you have options, but I was joking, not joking with you. I think the move is you just try to, for me, I would just hit like a, as my dad calls, like a three finger driver. And if I shove it a little bit, I just drop it where it went in and, and so be it. But I went, I mean, again, I hit it OB, so it didn't matter, but I decided to play my 230 yard club. And then I dropped where I went and I was like, I have like 240 yards in to an uphill green, just bone zone. So 11 is definitely a hole where it's like, I don't know. I, I just, whenever I hear someone play possum, my first question is going to be, tell me how you played 11. Like, I just want to hear from different people how they play. I played I three wood, three wood. <laughs> to a par four. Yeah. Do you feel like that was the right play? Like, is that how you would play that again? Yeah. I mean, I I probably should have hit a five wood on the second shot. A little bit higher, let it sit a little bit softer. But, you know, I gave it a soft, soft three wood and I, I hit it a little right. But, but the, the point is you're still hitting two large clubs. Yeah, I mean. Very it's, protected, very tough, undulating green. Well, and oh, the, and, and also forget. Too, it did not fly anywhere. No, because also with you, I, I'd forgotten this. That's the hole where you were on the bottom of the tier of the green. The flag mm -hmm. was at the top. You smacked it, and the ball came back to your feet. So it's yep. also a, a like totally like green that's like fuck you when you get up there. And again, if you if if on your two hundred and thirty yard approach shot, you hit it short of the bunker, your red stake hazard have to drop and hit a hundred twenty yard shot again. So I mean, it's truly a hole where I think that like you could make a 10 so easily on that hole. Yeah. Like I usually hit my three wood 245, 250, and I was hitting that thing 220 into the wind on that hole. Yeah. I mean, it, I was losing a good 30 yards on that, on that club. It was. Yeah. And that's really why I think on that day, you just bat, you just hit driver and you just, you, you tell yourself you're going to miss it left if you miss it and then just drop it and try to make five or at worst double, but yeah, just such a hard hole, such a cool hole. And to your point, uses the Branca and the Branca is in play on the tee shot. It's in play on the approach shot. 
you know, where Jack was, if he, you know, had had not a great chip, it could have been a play around the green. I mean, just such a cool, super challenging hole. I think both of us, the only gripe we would have on anything in the entire course, I think the only thing we would say is hole 17 is the most basic bitch hole I've ever played. Yeah, it's not, it's not only that, I don't think it's a great hole. It's also that I've heard from people I trust, like you said, it's one of their signature holes. I don't understand that. It's just, there's nothing to it. it there's nothing it, to it. No, there really isn't. I mean, from the tips, it's only, it's 372. And there's no bunkers in play. It doesn't even look like an Alistair McKenzie hole. No. It's just, it, it's just, so, so, so so you guys know, so the left side of the fairway is higher than the right. Everything feeds down to the right. And then you have a slightly elevated green with no bunkers. And it's just like a very vanilla hole. Yeah. And, and I would say that's why I loved 18 so much because you were like, all right, 16 was such a kick in the dick. And so interesting, you know, so diabolical. Then you go to 17, you're just like, okay. And then you go to 18 and you're like, all right, there it is again. And you get that little taste right before you walk off. Yeah. But all in all, Positiempo was absolutely just, just a day. It was, it was so good. And I think that's a good point, Chris. Is like, I think that like the way we did it again, traffic and stuff, notwithstanding, I think it's a really great way to pick three people who are really special to you plan it a year in advance. I mean, you don't have to book it a year in advance, but kind of pick your day, try to do it. Cause the one thing to call out is um, the first three holes. Like we still notice, like we have been, you know, over a month past punching. We noticed that I wouldn't say have ruined our experience by any means. We noticed punching. So just try to pick a day, like pay attention where they're punching, try to do two months after punching. Yes. Pick three people who you really care about. And just pay the price. Don't think about it because if you're if you're gonna go go in July, go in August before they punch again in September, uh, or end of October is when they they punch right around that time, or I mean beginning of October, end of September. So plan ahead of time. Best weather you're gonna experience, especially because you are on the coast. Like even though you're in the mountains. The coastal weather does come up to Pasa and, and you will experience some of it. I mean, you will have higher temperatures up there than you will on the coast, but July, August, September, if I'm going to tell anybody to play out there, because the prices don't change year round. No. No matter when you go out there, unless they just punch and sand it, that's the only time you get a cheaper rate to go out and play it. But it's the same 325 year round, no matter when you book a tea time. So make it sure be. it's great. Yeah. And the weather again is great year round out there. I mean, it's I mean, California we, weather. We, we had, we had like 70 with a little breeze and it was, we actually had a perfect weather day. Yes. I mean, the wind picked up a little bit on the back nine, but other than that, it was perfect weather out there. We couldn't, we couldn't have asked for a better experience. Yeah. All right, guys. Well, thank you for tuning in. That's our recap, Pasa. Um, if anybody, again, is in, you know, South Bay, you know, Santa Cruz, that area, it is a must play. I would even say if you're if you're traveling to that area to play golf and you're planning on going to Monterey, I would skip one of your expensive rounds in Monterey and I would replace it with Pasa Tiempo if you didn't already have that on your list because it's better than every golf course in Monterey. I'm going to absolutely say that right now. Anybody can fight me about that. It is better than every golf course that public can play in, um, in Monterey. So if you're going that route, if you're flying into San Jose or SFO and you're driving to Monterey, if you're not dri- you know, flying directly into Monterey, play Postiempo on your way down. Thank us later. It's yeah. absolutely a blast. Again, there's there's nothing like being able to experience a McKenzie that's playing like a McKenzie. You don't have to squint. You don't have to guess. You don't have to wonder. 
it's a truly magical experience. And to your point, if you find SFL, if you take the scenic route, it's an extra 25, 30 minutes, you go through Santa Cruz on your way to Monterey. So just add it onto the list, bail in one of your other rounds. You know, again, I've never played Spanish Bay. I've never played Spyglass. I'm not trying to, I know those are lovely courses, but you know, save one of those for next time and play Pasa because you'll be able to play a little bit of Monterey and then also get an Alistair McKenzie. You're really going to enjoy it. Yep. Next week, we're going to be showcasing some golf that I am experiencing. Ashton's taking a little bit of a hiatus. He's going to go see, go see some professionals for his swing, but not play a little bit, take it, take it easy. But I'll have about five courses to showcase by the time we, we talk again next Monday. So I'm excited for that. Everybody. Thank you again for tuning in. Peace. Peace.